Chapters 65, 66, and 67 of Ruth Hall by Fanny Fern. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 65 A dull, drizzling rain spattered perseveringly against Ruth's windows, making her little dark room tenfold gloomier and darker than ever. Little Nettie had exhausted her slender stock of toys, and creeping up to her mother's side, laid her head wearily in her lap. "'Wait just a moment, Nettie, till Mama finishes this page,' said Ruth, dipping her pen again in the old stone inkstand. The child crept back again to the window, and watched the little pools of water in the streets, as the raindrops dimpled them, and saw, for the hundredth time, the grocer's boy carrying home a brown paper parcel for some customers, and eating something from it as he went along, and listened to the milkman, who thumped so loudly on the back gates, and seemed always in such a tearing hurry, and saw the baker open the lid of his boxes, and let the steam escape from the smoking hot cakes and pies. Nettie wished she could have some of them, but she had long since learned only to wish, and then she saw the two little sisters, who went by the school every morning, and who were now cuddling, laughing together, under a great big umbrella, which the naughty wind was trying to turn inside out, and to get away from them. And then Nettie thought of Katie, and wished she had Katie to play with her, when Mamma wrote such a long, long time. And then little Nettie drew such a heavy sigh, that Ruth dashed down her pen, and taking her in her arms and kissing her, told her about Mistress McShuttle, who lived in a cold scuttle, along with her dog and her cat. What she did there, I can't tell, but I know very well that none of the party were fat and then she narrated the exciting adventures of the wise men of Gotham, who went to sea in that rudderless bowl, and suffered shipwreck and the total loss of life, as the newsboys, God bless their rough and ready faces, call it, and then little Nettie's snowy lids drooped over her violet eyes, and she was far away in the land of dreams, where there are no little hungry girls or tired scribbling mamas. Ruth laid the child gently on her little bed, and resumed her pen, but the spell was broken, and, careful and troubled about many things, she laid it down again, and her thoughts ran riot. Pushing aside her papers, she discovered two unopened letters which Mr. Lescombe had handed her, and which she had, in the hurry of finishing her next article, quite forgotten. Breaking the seal of the first, she read as follows. To Floy I am a rough old man, miss, and not used to writing or talking to ladies. I don't know who you are, and I don't ask. But I take the standard, and I like your pieces. I have a family of bouncing girls and boys, and when we've all done work, we get round the fire of an evening, while one of us reads your pieces aloud. It may not make much difference to you what an old man thinks, but I tell you those pieces have got the real stuff in them. And so I told my son John the other night, and he says, and I say, and neighbor Smith, who comes in to hear em, says, that you ought to make a book of them, so that your readers may keep them. You can put me down for three copies to begin with, and if every subscriber to the standard feels as I do, you might make a plum by the operation. Suppose now you think of it. N.B. John says, maybe you'll be offended at my writings to you, but I say you've got too much common sense. Yours to command, John Stokes. 
"'Well, well,' said Ruth, laughing. "'That's a thought that never entered this busy head of mine. "'John Stokes. I publish a book. "'Why, John, are you aware that those articles were written for bread and butter, "'not fame, and tossed to the printer before the ink was dry, "'or I had time for a second reading? "'And yet, perhaps, there is more freshness about them "'than there would have been had I leisure to have pruned and polished them. "'Who knows?' I'll put your suggestion on file, friend Stokes, to be turned over at my leisure. It strikes me, though, that it will keep a while. Thank you, honest John. It is just such readers as you whom I like to secure. Well, what have we here? And Ruth broke the seal of the second letter. It was in a delicate, beautiful female hand, just such one as you, dear reader, might trace, whose sweet soft eyes and long drooping tresses are now bending over this page. It said, Dear Floy, for you are dear to me, dear as a sister on whose loving breast I have leaned, though I never saw your face. I know not whether you are young and fair, or old and wrinkled, but I know that your heart is fresh and guileless, and warm as childhood's, and that every week your printed words come to me in my sick chamber, like the ministrations from some gentle friend, sometimes stirring to its very depths the fountain of tears, sometimes by odd and quaint conceits provoking the mirthful smile. But, Floy, I love you best in your serious moods, for as earth recedes and eternity draws near, it is the real and tangible my soul yearns after. And sure am I, Floy, that I am not mistaken in thinking that we both lean on the same rock of ages, both discern, through the mists and clouds of time, the sun of righteousness. I shall never see you, Floy, on earth, mysterious voices, audible only to the dying ear, are calling me away, and yet, before I go, I would send you this token of my love, for all the sweet and soul-strengthening words you have unconsciously sent to my sick chamber, to wing the weary, waiting hours. We shall meet, Floy, but it will be where tears are wiped away. God bless you, my unknown sister, Mary R. Ruth's head bowed low upon the table, and her lips moved. But he, to whom the secrets of all hearts are known, alone heard that grateful prayer. End of chapter 65 Chapter 66 That first miserable day at school! Who that has known it, even with a mother's kiss burning on the cheek, a big orange bumping in the new satchel, and a promise of apple dumplings for dinner, can review it without a shudder. Torturing, even when you can run home and tell mother all your little griefs, when every member of the home circle votes it a shame that Johnny Oakes laughed because you did not take your alphabet the natural way, instead of receiving it by inoculation, just as he forgets that he did torturing when bill smith and tom sims with whom you have swapped alleys and played hockey are there with their familiar faces to take off the chill of the new schoolroom torturing to the sensitive child even when the teacher is a sunny-faced young girl instead of a prim old ogre poor little katie her book was before her, but the lines blurred into one indistinct haze, and her throat seemed filling to suffocation with long-suppressed sobs. 
The teacher, if he thought anything about it, thought she had the toothache, or earache, or headache, and Katie kept her own secret, for she had read his face correctly, and with a child's quick instinct stifled down her throbbing little heart. To the doctor and Miss Hall, with their anti-progressive notions, a school was a school. The committee had passed judgment on it, and I would like to know who would be insane enough to question the decision of a school committee. What did the committee care that the consumptive teacher, for his own personal convenience, madly excluded all ventilation, and heated the little sheet-iron stove hotter than Shadrach's furnace, till little heads snapped and cheeks crimsoned, and croup stood ready at the threshold to seize the first little bare throat that presented its perspiring surface to the keen frosty air? What did they care that the desks were so constructed as to crook spines and turn in toes and round shoulders? What did they care that the funnel smoked week after week till the curse of weak eyes was entailed on their victims for a lifetime? They had other irons in the fire to which this was a cipher. For instance, the village pump was out of repair, and town meeting after town meeting had been called to see who shouldn't make its handle fly. North Gotham said it was the business of East Gotham. East Gotham said the pump might go before they'd bear the expense. Not that the East Gothamites cared for expense. No, they scorned the insinuation. But they'd have North Gotham to know that East Gotham wasn't to be put upon. Jeremiah Stubbs, a staunch North Gothamite, stopped buying molasses and calico at Ezekiel Tibbs' East Gotham Finding Store, and Ezekiel Tibbs forbade, under penalty of losing his custom, the carpenter who was repairing his pigsty, from buying nails any more of Jeremiah Stubbs of North Gotham. Matches were broken up, own cousins ceased to know one another, and the old women had a millennial time of it over their bohea discussing and settling matters. No marvel that such a trifle as a child's school should be overlooked. Meantime, there stood the pump, with its impotent handle high and dry, a gone sucker, as Mr. Tibbs facetiously expressed it. "'You can't go to school today, Katie. It is washing day,' said old Mrs. Hall. "'Go get that stool. Now sit down on it at my feet, and let me cut off those foolish dangling curls.' "'Mama likes them,' said the child. "'I know it,' replied the old lady, with a malicious smile, as she gathered a cluster of them in one hand, and seized the scissors with the other. "'Papa liked them,' said Katie, shrinking back. "'No, he didn't,' replied the old lady. "'Or, if he did, twas only to please your foolish mother. "'Anyway, they are coming off. "'If I don't like them, that's enough. "'You are always to live with me now, Katie. "'It makes no difference what your mother thinks or says about anything. "'So you needn't quote her. "'I'm going to try to make a good girl of you, "'if she will let you alone. "'You are full of faults, just as she is, "'and I shall have to take a great deal of pains with you.' "'You ought to love me very much for it, better than anybody else in the world, don't you?' "'No response from Katie. "'I say, Katie, you ought to love me better than anybody else in the world,' "'repeated the old lady, tossing a handful of the severed ringlets down on the carpet. "'Do you, Katie?' "'No, ma'am,' answered the truthful child. "'That tells the whole story,' said the doctor, as he started up and boxed Katie's ears.' "'Now go up and stay in your room till I send for you "'for being disrespectful to your grandmother.' 
"'Like a mother, like child,' said the old lady, as Katie, half-shorn, moved like a culprit out of the room. Then, gathering up in her apron the shining curls, she looked on with a malicious smile while they crisped and blackened in the glowing Lehigh fire. But miserable as were the weekdays, Sunday, after all, was a dreadful day for Katie. The long, long, long Sunday, when every book in the house was put under lock and key, when even religious newspapers, tracts, and memoirs were tabooed, when the old people who fancied they could not go to church sat from sunrise to sunset in their best clothes with their hands folded, looking speechlessly into the fire, when there was no dinner, when the Irish girl and the cat, equally lawless and heretical, went to see their friends, when not a sound was heard in the house saving the tick of the old claw-footed clock that stood in the entry when katie crept up to her room and crouching in a corner wondered if god was good why he let her papa die and why he did not help her mamma who tried so hard to earn money to bring her home the last bright golden beam of the sabbath sun had slowly faded away one by one the stars came gliding out he who held them all in their places listening ever to the ceaseless music of their motion yet bent a pitying ear to the stifled sob of a troubled child softly sweetly fell the gentle dew of slumber on weary eyelids while angels came to minister tears glittered still on katie's long lashes but the little lips parted with a smile murmuring papa sleep on dream on little katie he who noteth the sparrow's fall hath given his angels charge to keep thee. End of chapter 66 Chapter 67 In one of the thousand business offices, in one of the thousand crowded streets of a neighboring city, sat Mr. John Walter, with his legs crossed, his right finger pressed against the right lobe of his organ of causality, his right elbow resting on his right knee, and the fingers of his left hand beating a sort of tattoo on a fresh copy of the standard which lay upon the table by his side his attitude was one of profound meditation who can she be exclaimed mr walter in a tone of blended interest and vexation who can she be mr walter raised his head uncrossed his legs took up the standard and re-read floy's last article slowly often pausing to analyze the sentences, as though he would extort from them some hidden meaning, to serve as a clue to the identity of the author. After he had perused the article thus searchingly, he laid down the standard, and again exclaimed, "'Who can she be? She is a genius, certainly, whoever she is,' he continued, soliloquizingly. "'A bitter life experience she has had, too. She did not draw upon her imagination for this article.' Like the very first production of her pen that I read, it is a wail from her inmost soul. So are many of her pieces. A few dozen of them taken consecutively would form a whole history of wrong and suffering and bitter sorrow. What a singular being she must be, if I have formed a correct opinion of her. What powers of endurance! What an elastic, strong, brave, loving, fiery, yet soft and winning nature! a bundle of contradictions, and how famously she has got on, too. 
It is only a little more than a year since her first piece was published, and now her articles flood the whole country. I seldom take up an exchange which does not contain one or more of them. That first piece of hers was a stroke of genius, a real gem, although not very smoothly polished ever since I read it, I've been trying to find out the author's name, and have watched her career with eager interest. Her career, I say, for I suppose Floy to be a woman, notwithstanding the rumors to the contrary. At any rate, my wife says so, and women have an instinct about such things. I wish I knew whether she gets well paid for her writings. Probably not. Inexperienced writers seldom get more than a mere pittance. There are so many ready to write, poor fools, for the honor and glory of the thing, and there are so many ready to take advantage of this fact, and withhold from needy talent the moral right to a deserved remuneration. Thank heaven I have never practiced this. The household messenger does not yield me a very large income, but what it does yield is fairly earned. Why, bless me, exclaimed Mr. Walter, suddenly starting up, and as suddenly sitting down again. Why has not this idea occurred to me before? Yes, why not engage Floy to write for the household messenger? How I wish I were rich that I might give her such a price as she really deserves. Let me see. She now writes for the Standard and the Pilgrim, four pieces a week for each, eight pieces in all. That is too much work for her to begin with. She cannot do herself justice. She ought not to write at the outside more than two pieces a week. Then she could polish them up and strengthen them, and render them as nearly perfect in execution as they are in conception. One piece a week would be as much as I should wish. Could I possibly afford to pay her as much, or more, for that one piece, as she now gets for eight? Her name is a tower of strength, but its influence would be frittered away were she to write for more than one paper. If I could secure her pen all to myself, the advertising that such a connection would give the messenger would be worth something. Ah, me! Were my purse only commensurate with my feelings? If I only knew who Floy is, and could have an interview with her, I might perhaps arrange matters so as to benefit us both. And I will know, exclaimed Mr. Walter, jumping up and pacing the room rapidly, I'll know before I'm a month older. And the matter was settled, for when John Walter paced the floor rapidly and said, I will, fate folded her hands. End of chapter 67